it's Wednesday, you're back on the Snakes Cast again, and back on the Snakes Cast we have Margaret and Rebecca. Hey guys, how's it going? Hello! Hello! And we're going to continue our discussion today about non-verbal components in gaming. So we already talked about games that have a non-verbal component, and today we're going to talk about teaching without speaking. Now, I don't know if you've had any experience with this in the cafe, Margaret, but mm. um, I was on shift once as a guru, and uh, the host came up and said, I just sat this table over here, uh, there's two people over there, and both of them are deaf. Mm. And that was a really interesting thing for me, because I hadn't come across this before, mm-hmm. and I sat down for five minutes, and I thought, well, what games can I take over to that table? I don't personally know sign language. What games can I take over and teach these people, knowing that I can't speak to explain Mm-hmm. games to them and actually a surprising number came to mind the first one I thought of that was kind of a hobby game was Ticket to Ride because I think that's that's an easy enough game to explain just by demonstrating what's going on but mm-hmm. um, I don't know if that's something you've come across but what would you do in that situation do you think I would definitely go through the list of games that I myself know very well mm-hmm. and then from there sort of try and narrow it down to games that I would feel comfortable describing with minimal gesture. Because mm-hmm. um, if you if you get too... If you're gesturing too much, it can be almost more confusing than if you just spoke. Right. And yeah. taught the game and let people watch your hands. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm thinking now games that I would feel comfortable teaching non-verbally, probably King Domino, like we mentioned yeah. in, the, in the last sure. round. Um it's very elegant, right? It's very simple. So abstract games are kind of my wheelhouse for those of you who weren't listening last week. Um, we <laughs> talked a lot about that. So, uh, and fortunately, a lot of the abstract games that we have are also nonverbal mm-hmm. um, and also quite simply elegant in their sort of learning curve. So yeah, King Domino, I'm thinking of Sagrada. Yeah. Um, with the exception, probably of the um, the tool component, there's like a little a tool component in Sagrada where you can spend a favor and you get to use this tool in building your rose window. Mm-hmm. Um, but that I think would be easy enough to sort of like break down. In and a the way cards that themselves have instructions on them. Yeah. So. You could essentially just physically show sort of how that would come to pass. Yeah, and assuming there's no language barrier, assuming they're still mm-hmm. like visually abled, I don't yeah. see how that would be an issue. As a teacher, I teach dance and I teach drama. Uh, I work with a variety of children. I have worked with children who are nonverbal. I've also worked with children who are deaf. Sometimes uh, a child will be very good at reading lips and other times not so much. I personally don't know sign language, but I have definitely come up with creative ways to communicate. And I think that the best thing, like you said, is not using too many physical gestures, but literally just sort of quite simply showing what is going to happen. So another one that sort of comes to mind is patchwork, because you could very much so illustrate how the game will play itself out. Yeah, exactly. Just maybe play out the first couple of turns, and then by that point, it's it's fairly straightforward. Um... Azul, we mentioned a lot last week. It's yeah. still one of my favorite games. It's so elegant. It's so beautiful. And sim- like simple. So simple. Like I, th- I feel it would be... It would take a little bit longer to teach, mm-hmm. just to make sure that my gestures are clear. But I, I don't see why that would be problematic in, in teaching non-verbally. It's, yeah. it's quite simple. And actually thinking about games that are recent that 
would be not too difficult. Uh, a game that's been hitting the table a lot recently is Minara. Yes. Uh-huh. And actually, Minara would be very simple to teach because actually the cards literally show you what you have to do. It's true. And it's just mm. uh, really just outlining the turn structure. Mm-hmm. And from also that point on, <laughs> and yeah. it's just fun. And you're working together. And I often feel, especially if you have a table that is partially nonverbal in one sense or another, mm-hmm. having a, a working together feeling rather than necessarily being competitive, it, mm. it encourages other people at the table to help out as well. Because if you don't want that one person or two people or whatever it is to feel like they're trying to, they, they have a question they want to ask and they can't ask it because it would weaken their position in some way. Right. Um, you know, let's not sacrifice as much as possible. Let's not sacrifice the, the quality of the game mm-hmm. um, the, if it's not necessary. On the note of fun, very... 3D games. Uh, one of my favorites is Spinderella, and I think that would be uh, quite oh, easy yeah. to teach because you, you can literally just illustrate the first turn by doing it. Yeah. Um, I, it's obviously a little bit simpler than Minara, but um, it's very fun to play. Uh, mm-hmm. I know it is traditionally meant for younger ages, but I've seen uh, everybody playing yeah, that game. Absolutely. At age twenty-eight, I love playing. That's like Spiderella. saying Harry Potter's for kids. Like, okay, whatever. Right? Exactly. <laughs> Actually, just thank the, you, Margaret. For the benefit of those that don't know, uh, realize we kind of brushed through there. Um, as all we talked about, uh, Minara is. If anyone's played Villa Paletti, they will be very familiar with with Minara. But essentially, it's a cooperative game where you're building a tower, and each uh, sort of tile or roof or floor, whatever you want to call it, of the tower has colored spaces on it and you have wood dowel doweling rod uh, columns in those colors and on your turn you place a certain number of them out and whenever you complete one of these tiles you have to place another tile going up and you have to build to a certain level and if you've got to that level by the time you finish the game you win but of mm. course the higher you get the more wobbly it gets the more kind yeah. of precarious snakes <laughs> yeah. and lattes annex which is where i played this the most the subway running underneath has actually disrupted the yeah. table and made it wobble more than once and that's a little unnerving yeah. everyone um, holding the table very carefully yeah with their just hands. try and keep it steady spinderella is a game where you're essentially trying to get all of your or two two of your color I forget now, it's been a while since I've played it, but your colored tokens to the end of the board and you roll and move along, but you're also going to have a spider moving around and you roll dice to move the ants and the spider at the same time and then choose which of your ants to move, how to move the spider. And what you're trying to do, of course, is trap your opponent's pieces mm. with the spider. But the way that it moves is great because it's suspended. The, the, the game has got two floors to it, essentially. And you move your pieces around on the bottom floor and then control the spider with two pieces that hold it magnetically from the top. And so it kind of shifts around and then it has a magnet and it grabs the pieces when it lands on them <laughs> and sends them back to the beginning. It's a great little game, but it's it's so visual because it's so beautifully produced it's well designed that it's very very easy to show somebody how to play this game without talking to them absolutely what about ticket to ride speaking of colorful board games that have lots of cool pieces right so i started out by mentioning this and i think this is something i could probably teach fairly easily without um without talking without without using words to teach the game because so much of it can be demonstrated by showing someone and simply part one take a thing part two play the thing part three mm-hmm. place plastic trains out on board to indicate mm. that those things are now there and it's not a difficult game to get through but it's a great kind of hobby level thing yeah. and it has a lot of visual aid to it in terms of the colors of the cards versus the colors on the board mm-hmm. and so on and so and the forth. tickets showing like where where you start where you end with right the group. and they yeah. have city names but mm-hmm. you could write those city names in any language you want 
because they still show where they are on the board and they're going to match what's on the board. Yeah. Uh, the only thing that would be a slightly difficult concept to explain and which catches people out even when you're teaching it with full speech is that concept that the colour of your trains, the plastic trains that you're placing on the board, is utterly immaterial to the colour of the track, the colour of the cards. It's they, they, If I'm playing red cards, I don't have to only play red cards because I have red trains. For some reason, that con- you have to really um, hit home the concept of player colour because sometimes it gets confused in with everything else. Right. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And it's the one thing I think is a bit of a shame. And uh, Nordic countries, I think, fix this by having weird colours. I think they have like white, pink and purple or something like that. So they aren't colours you could draw from right. the stack. Um, yeah. But red, yellow, blue, green is the colours of the standard ticket to ride thing and there are red, yellow, blue, green trains in the game or track in the game which bear which are two totally different things. Mm-hmm. And I think if right. somebody did get confused over that that might be a slightly harder concept mm-hmm. to explain. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the one thing with this whole conversation really are the hiccups and the pitfalls that you yeah. can fall into when teaching, I think you need to have them really smooth before you try and teach something in a way that you're not used to. I was I was just thinking about, you now it's still sort of in the back of my mind, David, while you were describing Ticket to Ride, and and I was thinking of, you know, oh, what are some nonverbal board games we haven't really brought up yet? And then I thought about trying to teach it, and I realized it's a prime example of a perfectly nonverbal board game that is almost impossible to teach without speaking. Oh. And it is survive. Hmm. Oh. Oh, you're so right. Survive would be imp- nearly impossible to teach without speaking because there are so many minutiae of when things happen in relation to other very vague instances. Mm-hmm. Um, like there, especially when you start bringing in all the sea monsters, like the whales and the and the tornado the the like tsunamis and the just all of the disaster elements when they start coming into play even trying to figure out when to play them in regards to the rule book Mm. is sticky business if you don't Mm -hmm. if you haven't played it recently and you're just trying to figure out when certain things happen it's that's such an interesting example, yeah. actually. You'd have, to, you'd have to sit with them and play through the entire game. Yeah. With and them. you could do it. You could do it. But if it's a teach and walk away scenario, yeah, you're right. I don't think that I could do that. And it is, be, I think, you'd be back at the table every five minutes. Yes. Yeah. And that very which, strongly illustrates that point that just because a game doesn't involve speaking doesn't mean it can be taught without speaking. Mm-hmm. So I think that's why that's why we separated these two episodes as well. Is I think we we inherently knew that Monday and Wednesday were two different topics, but actually, yeah, they can be completely mutually exclusive in some scenarios. Yeah. So there's some food for thought there for anybody who's trying to teach a game without speaking in some way, shape, or form, uh, which is something that I think we'll probably all come across at some point in this hobby because mm-hmm. you know that's that's a that's something that could be a challenge that could arise in so many different ways. And so I think it's important to know how to deal with that. But for Friday, we're going to be coming back and talking about this some more and talking about some unusual examples we've maybe come across uh, or further games that we think may be excellent for this or just have a small language component that if you can get around it, uh, makes the game very, very playable uh, regardless of the scenario. So come back on Friday and uh, we'll see what we have to say then. Thank you very much and have a good day. Mm-hmm.